haughtiness or pride always goes before destruction. Whenever you see a person who is exercising pride, look for the default that's going to come. The reason why pride is so risky is because it has one foot in the grave and one foot on a banana skin. Now you can't get any worse than that, can you? You're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't, as they say. Humility on the other hand walks securely in the direction of honor. Always walking in the direction of honor. Honoring the Lord in all that one does. That's what, what humility looks like. It never exalts itself. It always takes the lower posture and lets the Lord lift up or exalt. Verse 13. Know anybody like that? You're talking to them in a conversation and before you get the words out of your mouth, they're already spouting off. That's what he's talking about. Spouting off before listening to the facts is both not only shameful, because eventually you're going to get shamed by what you say, but it's also foolish. It's a foolish thing to do. Before giving an opinion, a person should get all the facts first. We have many times people give their opinion without knowing the facts or the full story. Otherwise, <clears throat> there will be an embarrassment when the full details are revealed. You spot off your mouth, you don't know what you're talking about, you don't know the details. And then when the facts really come out, you're the one with the egg all over your face. Because the facts are going to be revealed one way or another. <clears throat> there are always two sides to an issue. Some, some people say there's three sides. Your side, my side, and the right side. Every divorce, every argument, every issue, there's always the right side and the wrong side. So never agree with a person if you've never heard the other person's side. Now sometimes we have a tendency to side with folks when you only heard one side. You know, I was talking with a fella um, last week and he was telling me all the problems that he's having and all this and, and every time I talk to him, he tells me about this. And I said, boy, you know, it'll be interesting to hear the other side because I never hear the other side. I'm only hearing his side. You know, so it's always good. Never agree with a person until you get the other side of the story first. And so here's a, <clears throat> some application along those lines. These brief statements provide three basic principles for making sound decisions. One, before you answer, always get the facts. Now sometimes we'll be pressed to give an answer. And sometimes those who are talking to us, they really want an answer because they, they probably have uh, value your input. They see you as a wise counselor. Well, if you're really wise, don't give them an answer until you get all the facts. That will be really showing your wise. So, so before you answer, get, all, get the facts. Secondly, always be open to new ideas. Sometimes people have a closed mind. And they don't, even, they don't want to hear any other aspect, any other point of view. What this proverb reminds us of <clears throat> is that we have to always be open to new ideas. We don't know it all, do we? Do any of us know everything? We don't know it all. 
So every now and then, the window of new ideas or new facts or new enlightenment is going to come our way. Be open to it. That's what he's saying. Before judging, make sure you hear both sides of a story. Don't pass judgment with only one side. And so all three principles center on looking for extra information. There's nothing wrong with that. While this can be a difficult task, the only alternative is prejudice. That's the only alternative to not getting the full story or not getting the full facts. You're being prejudiced. If you hear one side and only take that one side, not look for the facts or the information for the other side, you're being prejudiced against the person who's given you their side. So always look for the facts because the only alternative, if you don't do so, is prejudice. Judging before getting the facts. Verse 14. The spirit of a man will sustain his infirmity, but a wounded spirit who can bear. Probably we've seen this so many times, haven't we? Humans, a human spirit can endure any kind of sickness, no matter how bad it is, no matter how devastating it is. But who can handle a crushed spirit? Ever seen anybody with a crushed spirit? There's no healing for that. I mean, that's more devastating than, than an earthly, uh, uh, than, a, than physical uh, illness. A person's spirit can endure all kinds of physical ailments or, or, or sicknesses. But a broken spirit is much more difficult to endure. Emotional problems are often much more serious than physical illness. Much more serious. Because it's not something you can put your finger on, it's not something that the doctor can actually diagnose and treat. A doctor tells of an elderly patient who was recovering satisfactorily in hospital from a broken hip. Just a broken hip. That's it. Nothing else. When it was time for her to go home, her daughter told her that arrangements had been made for her, for her to go to an old folks home. You can imagine what that must have done to her, right? Within a few hours, not a few days, not a few weeks, not a few months, within a few hours, the patient showed general physical deterioration and she died in less than a day. In less than a day. Not of a broken hip. Of a broken heart. Crushed spirit. Can't heal it. That reminds me of David when he was anointed king. And you remember they destroyed, took his family and everything. Even though they anointed king, he said his spirit was broken and crushed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Too much. Nothing you can do with a crushed spirit. Try to avoid it. Man who had endured hours of, of the concentration camp with courage found out after his release that it was his own with courage found out after his release that it was his own with courage found out after his release that it was his own with courage found out after his release that it was his own the attack of one whom he loved killed him. He died from suicide. Hmm? <laughs> <laughs> he was saying, he's speaking about that, he did suicide. Because he said he lost the love and the affection of his son and his family, so there was no kind of limit, so he committed suicide. He died of a broken heart. When he found out his son had turned him into the Nazis, and all that time he spent in the concentration camp, 
and he loved his son, he never imagined that his son would do something like that, or his son would be the person who had done it. It killed him. Verse 15. And from the heart cries Okay, because their mind is always open to instruction and their ears are always open to knowledge, wise people can never come out to the point, never come to the point where learning stops. A person who is wise is always learning, always seeking new knowledge, new vistas. They never come to the point where they say, well, okay, I had enough learning, that's enough for me. Always wanting to learn more. Intelligent people are always open to learn. Smart people, wise people, always open to learn. Their ears are always open for knowledge. They never close to it. Verse 16. Okay, giving a gift open doors. And sometimes many people give gifts just to get the doors open. They know what opens the door. They know what opens the door. <laughs> but this also speaks of something else. <clears throat> Not just being generous, but it speaks of bribery. A person bribery buys their way into the presence of those who want who they want to influence. Anyone who they want to, to get influence with, they buy their way into it. Bribery. Verse 17. The first to speak in court sounds right until the cross-examination begins. Isn't that so? See, that's why you have crosses. That's why you have cross-examinations. It appears so convincing when a person gets up and tells their side of the story. They are quick. Everybody's quick to believe them until the other person comes. A few leading questions come up and before you know it, it's obvious that that person was not so right after all. Always hear the other side, like we mentioned already. Verse 18. Casting the Lord sells his too strong opponents Okay, flipping the coin or casting uh, uh, straws, is what he's talking about. Uh, to settle matters <clears throat> which they felt that they were too inadequate to carry out, Old Testament believers actually appealed to the Lord by casting lots. Now when they cast the lots, it was not a, a lock of the draw. They were actually depending on, the, on God to make the decision in the process of casting the lots. So they were not actually gambling. Okay, this is one way that they they were assured that God, you know, okay, what do, we, what do we say? We say, man plans, but God determines the outcome, right? Well, they totally depended upon God's power. That if I flip this coin, God is going to allow this coin to flip to the way we, He wants us to go. That's the way they looked at it when they, when, they, when they flipped the coin or cast lots. The casting of lots provided a just and peaceful way to settle matters between powerful contenders who may have resorted to force otherwise or violence. When we have difficulties with others, we too should let the Lord be the final judge. You don't necessarily have to flip a coin today, you can just 
go to God's word because he has the answers there in his word or you go to him in prayer and wait for him to respond and one way of his response is actually directing you to somebody or directing you to some portion of his word where you can find the answer to your problem so instead of casting lots we can read and obey the Bible confess our faults to one another pray and allow the inward work of the wit and witness of the Holy Spirit to move and direct us to make the right decision that's the way of making the right choice don't necessarily flip a coin <coughs> the Old Testament did not the full canon of Scripture so they had to resort to flipping the coin and allow God to make the decision verse uh, 20 19 Anybody experience that? Anybody had a good friend that an argument separated and you're no longer friends? Well, probably know somebody like that, right? Well, that's what he's talking about. It's often harder to restore quarrels between friends or close relatives. It's a difficult task. Conquering a fortified city is easier than to achieve reconciliation between offended friends. Their contentions are like a gate with locked bars. Can't open it. Can't find the key. Cold, straight, and unbending. Know anybody like that? There's nothing more better than, bitter than civil wars. And that's what it is. When you, when you have a, a problem between friends, they were good friends and now they're enemies, that's like a civil war. Verse 20. Wise words satisfy like a good deed. The right words bring satisfaction. You know, we often say sometimes that a person has to eat their own words. Right? The psalmist, the, the writer of Proverbs tells us that they will be satisfied. The words of a person's words can be satisfactory to him if they have been good words. If they have been deceptive words, that's where you'll find a person eating their own words. The reward received will be according to the nature of what was spoken. In other words, what you say is going to come back to you. It's going to revert to you. And so we need to be careful what we say. Because many times we say the wrong thing. Uh, and again, it goes right back to not hearing the other side of the story. You say something out of, out of, out of context or out of time without hearing the full facts or details. And you eventually have to eat your own words. Verse 21. The tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk can read the consequences. Now, what is this talking about? Huh? <laughs> Gossiping, people who talk too much. That's what he's talking about. Notice this, the tongue can bring death or life. You speak something that you should not say, and it could result in your death. person who you speak it to may be offended to the point where they launch out at you, they leap out at you. And that's why it's not always good to respond uh, to people when they, when they offend us. The best thing to do sometimes is just to be quiet. But even that today is offensive. You know, you don't say anything and you walk away. They say, you dissing me? You dissing me? You just got to say it wrong. All right? Say it in a way that shows that you don't mean any harm. There's a vast potential for the tongue 
to do good and evil. And we see it every single day. Whoever loves to use it, a lot, must be prepared for whatever consequences results. You like to talk a lot? Make sure you're talking the right thing. Or be, be prepared for whatever consequences that comes. Many people, people talk a lot and they're not responsible with regards to the consequences that come upon them. Verse 22. Okay, so whenever man finds a good wife, he finds a treasure. A godly, helpful bride is a token of the Lord's favor for the man who finds one. <laughs> Say what? Say what? <laughs> Say what about the man who can't find one? Or the wife who can't find one? You take it to the Lord. The Lord got one out there for you. Somewhere. So, verse, according to verse 22, according to this verse, marriage should be enjoyed and viewed as a great gift from God. That's how it ought to be reviewed, viewed or looked at. When God created marriage, he pronounced it good for enjoyment. So married people need to see their marriages as great treasures by guarding and protecting them as such. This is one among many scriptures, passages of scripture that show marriage as a joyful and good creation of God. And today marriage has lost a lot of what God intended for it to, to be. Uh, Genesis chapter 2. Uh, verse 21 to 25 is one of those passages that talks about marriage. Uh, it says, so, God, so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of man's ribs and closed up the opening. Didn't leave it open so somebody could come and take another rib out. <laughs> then the Lord God made a woman from the rib. And he brought it to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, This one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they were not, they, they felt no shame. And then Proverbs 15. Uh, there's another one of those verses that we went over earlier in our study. It says, drink water from your own well. Share your love only with your wife. Why spill, why spill the water of your springs in the streets, having sex without just anyone? You should reserve it for yourselves. Never share it with strangers. Let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. She is a loving, dear, a graceful doe. Let her breast satisfy you always. May you always be captivated by her love. It's another one. Then there's John chapter 2. Uh, John says, uh, John chapter 2 verse 1, verses 1 through, through 10. The next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out due in the festivity. So Jesus said, Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, that's not my problem. Well, that's not our problem. Jesus replied, my time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. 
Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washings. Each could hold 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of the ceremonies. So the servant follows instructions. When the master of the ceremonies tasted the water that was, turned, was now wine, not knowing where it, it had come from, though, of course, the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone has had a lot to drink, or when everybody is drunk and they don't know no, diff no better, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best until now. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. And so marriage was so important that this is marriage is marriage was the first time that Jesus actually revealed his glory to his disciples. So that's another indicator of how marriage is blessed of God. Verse 23. The poor pleads for mercy. Rich answers for themselves. And we see that all the time. Poor people often have a tendency to plead for mercy softly and humbly. But while, but while all rich people don't have bad manners, some tend to be arrogant and rough in their responses. Uh, and we see that a lot too. Uh, insulting the poor is not condoned by this proverb. What it is doing is simply documenting an unfortunate fact of life which we see every day as we go about. The contemptuous and arrogant treatment of less fortunate by the rich is wrong and God has a severe form of punishment for judging such actions. You can count on that. That's going to happen. Proverbs 14.31 reminds us, those who oppress the poor insult their maker. By helping the poor, helping the poor honors him. And many people don't, don't remember that. Uh, verse 24. They have friends who destroy each other, but a real friend sticks close to them. <laughs> a real friend. The thought is that friends are won by friendliness. And some friends are, are closer than others. So we have some friends who are close and some who are not so close. Uh, in verse 24, with loneliness everywhere, a lot of people feel cut off and alienated from others. Isolation becomes even more felt in a crowd. All of us need friends <coughs> who will stick close to us, who will listen to us and care and offer help when it is needed, in good times as well as bad times. It's much better to have one such friend than many superficial acquaintances. Instead of wishing you could find a true friend, try to become one. Then you'll be able to find out how many true friends you really have. If you look around you, <coughs> if you look around and you're careful enough, you'll find people who need your friendship. Ask God to make them known to you and then take on the challenge of being a true friend yourself. And that'll be a blessing to others as well as yourself. <coughs> Okay, chapter 19, verse 1. Better is the poor that walketh in his integrity than he that is perverse in his lips and is a fool. Okay, here we have the difference between a poor person who is honest and a deceitful and possibly rich person. 
who twist the truth. The poor person is better off than the fool. Always. A blameless life is more valuable than wealth. But most people don't act as if they believe that. Afraid of not getting everything they want, they will pay any price to increase their wealth. Cheating on their taxes, stealing from stores or employees, withholding tithes, refusing to give. But when we know and love God, we realize that a lower standard of living or even poverty is a small price to pay for personal integrity. So the question is, do your actions show that you sacrifice your integrity to increase your wealth? What changes do we need to make in order to get our priorities straight? Good questions to ask with regards to this verse. Verse 2. Okay, so this proverb is talking about a person who knows what they want to do but doesn't know how to do it. They know what they want to do but they don't know how to do it. So it makes them half crazy or what they call half cocked. This, person this person's misery is further compounded by always being in a hurry. So they end up going wrong in circles because they are in too much of a hurry to ask for directions or even follow the directions when they're given. That's what he's talking about, that kind of a person. And so we've often move, we often move quickly through life or hastily through life, rushing headlong into the unknown. We don't want to stop to ask for advice or directions because we think we know where we want to go. The only problem is we don't know how to get there. We don't want to ask no advice. Some people marry without getting to know the other person. That's a good example right there. And then before you know it, divorce is on the horizon. Others try illicit sex or drugs without considering the consequences. A friend comes up and says, boy, I had some, some marijuana the other day and that was the best I ever had. Come try it with me. They're saying now that in Colorado, I think it's Colorado where they just legalize uh, recreational drugs. Uh, they're, they're expected to make $184 million in, in taxes on it. So the government getting fat of people smoking dope. Some plunge into jobs without evaluating whether or not they are suitable, a suitable line of work. So the point is, enthusiasm is no good without knowledge. You could be enthusiastic, but if you don't have knowledge, you can find yourself in a whole heap of trouble. That's what he's saying. So enthusiastic enthusiasm is good, but it's not good without knowledge. And it will make a bad situation, it will not make a bad situation better. So don't rush into the unknown. Always evaluate what you're getting into. Be sure you understand what you're getting into and where you want to go before you take the first step. Obviously... You cannot tell all that the future will hold, but do your homework. Ask the right questions and be sure, be sure that you're following God and not somebody else because they did it and it worked for them. That's the point that he's trying to make here. 
A lot of people make the same mistake every single day. Verse 3. People ruin their lives by their own foolishness and then are angry at Know anybody like that? Plenty of people like that. They go and they make these decisions. People have a tendency of making a mess of their lives. And then turn around and blame God for it. They do it all the time. God caused this to happen. Adam did this when he tried to blame God, remember? Tried to blame God by saying, the woman you gave me, she caused this. If it wasn't for her, I wouldn't have been in this mess. People do that every single day. But what we need to be mindful of is that moral failure is often the seedbed for apostasy. Moral failure. A person indulges in some form of immorality. It does something they know they're not supposed to be doing. But instead of confessing and forsaking the sin, they turn away from the Christian faith and rage and anger at the Lord because of where they end up. And God had nothing to do with it. It was all their decision, their fault. And so we need to be careful. Sometimes we Christians have a tendency to do that too. We make decisions, didn't ask God's advice on it, find ourselves in a, in a problem, and then we ask, Lord, why you let me get into this? Because it was, your, it was your choice. You made the decision. You didn't ask me anything. If you had asked me, I would have told you it was not a wise thing to do. So don't blame me. It's the response you'll get from God. Verse 4. Well, make many friends Now when you read this, what is the first story in the Bible that comes to mind? The prodigal son, exactly. The prodigal son, because that's what is basically is what this, this verse is saying what he would happen with his life. The inherent selfishness of the human heart is proof that wealth makes many friends. The inherent selfishness of a human heart. A person is selfish because they only try to find a person who has a lot. And when that person is exhausted with their heart, they're no longer friends. A poor person is separated from his friend because his friends only want friendships that will benefit them. They don't care about how it benefits you. They only want it to benefit them. And then last one, verse 5, and then we're going to stop. Of okay, so the Bible tells us that over and over again. All through the scriptures we see this. Without a doubt, God will punish the person who gives false testimony or engages in any kind of dishonesty. God will find that person out and that person will have to give an account. That person will be punished. Uh, even if they never get caught in this life. You see, some people, sometimes people go through this life, they do all kinds of stuff and they never get caught in this life. They go to their grave doing a lot of things and they get, seem, to, seem to get away with it. And the people who know what they've done, say, boy, you know, he did all that mess and he died and gone and get away with it just like that. Well, this verse reminds us that judgment is coming from God. You may not necessarily get it in this life, but you're going to get it in the next life for sure. Amen?